Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. I thought I would try some spooky music on this episode because it's very special. It's about Halloween. This song, by the way, is by a group called Material Girl, G-U-R-L, and it's called A Spooky Night In. And today I have a very fun episode for you. We're going to explore Halloween in the 1800s. I took some time to research some old newspapers from that period, which was the Victorian era in the United States, and I explored not only Battle Creek newspapers, but also newspapers all over Southwest Michigan in putting this together, and I made a timeline on these stories. Some of them are quite funny, and it certainly gives you a whole unique insight into Halloween, so stick around. Now, Halloween in the 1800s was quite different than what we're used to today. I became curious as October came around this year, and I thought I would take some time to explore some of the old newspapers, as I mentioned before, especially concentrating in the southwest Michigan region. And I blocked out the period between the earliest 1800s as I could find, and the earliest story I found was around 1877. And I took it up till about 1900. Most of the stories kind of capped out after 1890. So if we bracket these stories somewhere between 1870 to 1890, kind of gives you the context of the period of time, of that 20-year history. And I was quite surprised to discover how so much had changed over the last 150 years. So let's take a journey back in time, and I'm going to take you through some of these articles that will reveal some fascinating details of what life was like at Halloween during this time period. Battle Creek Daily Journal, November 3rd, 1877. Hallow Eve was celebrated in Detroit by a crowd of roughs who went around breaking windows and damaging property in numerous ways. Battle Creek Daily Journal, November 1st, 1878. An article entitled, That Boy, and it reads, That boy was quite active last evening, especially the rowdy element of him. He and his companions marched up and down Main, Marshall, and Green Streets, loaded with cabbage stumps, hurling them against the doors and windows and blinds of the dwellings, and causing no little annoyance and alarm in houses where ladies were confined to bed by sickness. I have heard several gentlemen say that they were sorry they were not prepared to receive the young rowdies with hospitable shotguns. This sort of thing may be fun to the youthful aspirants for the horrors of the penitentiary, but law and order people do not appreciate it. It is time this and similar habits, such as pelting windows and doors with corn, beans, etc., in which the scrape graces are wont to indulge, was corrected. And doubtless it will be, if not by gentle means, then by harsher measures. And this was signed by somebody named Percussion Cap. Battle Creek Daily Journal, November 3rd, 1879. Some of the youngsters were out throwing cabbages last night, celebrating Halloween. The Nightly Moon, October 29th, 1883. Next Wednesday will be Halloween, and people had better harvest their cabbages. We hear of a party to be given that evening at which all the peculiar ceremonies 
incident to the occasion, will be observed. The Nightly Moon, October 31st, 1883. Tonight is Hallow Eve. Prepare for cabbages, etc. Also, don't forget to load the shotgun and leave the bulldog untied. So you're probably asking, what is it with these cabbages? Well, my understanding is that was a crop that was very common during that time period. And because the village of Battle Creek was much smaller than the city that we know today, there were a lot of people that had gardens. And apparently the crop of cabbages was something that was um, an abundance usually around this time of year in October. And this was a smaller community at the time. And It was not like it is today where you walk around and there's sidewalks and paved streets and buildings and buses and that sort of thing. It was a lot of country roads and um, wagons and horses during that time and, and of course, a lot of crops. And the kids would get out in the fields and grab the cabbages, which they were probably just the right size for tossing. So let's continue on. Battle Creek Daily Journal, October 25th, 1884. Next week, the Halloween fiends will be around. Then look out for transposition signs, gates ajar, old boots and cabbages on the front porch, and various other funny things to annoy the peaceful resident. Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 31st, 1884. This evening is Halloween. Look out for cabbage. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 1st, 1884. Last evening was Halloween, and the boys did not forget it either, as the number of old cabbage roots and transposed signs testified. Among the number of misplaced signs was noticed one on a church reading, Cool Lager Beer. Another on an electric light pole read, For Sale or Rent. Another one placed in front of a dressmaking shop read, If you don't see what you want, ask for it. Sunday morning call, November 2nd, 1884. A number of young ladies held a pleasant Halloween party at the residence of Charles Hamilton on North Avenue Friday night. The young gentlemen enjoyed the occasion hugely. Also in the same paper, the bright October days are all gone now, and Halloween has finished them off with cabbages. It's a good thing cabbages were plentiful this year. Battle Creek Daily Journal, October 31st, 1885. Tonight is Halloween, and those who have not taken up their cabbages should do so as a mark of respect to the small boy. Sunday morning call, November 1st, 1885. Saturday night, October 31st, Halloween, and the first snowstorm of the season. So that probably put a damper on some of the Halloween activity that year. Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 30th, 1886. Upon the close of business tonight, it would be well to take down signs and secure all movable property in the shape of gates, etc. For Halloween falls on Sunday night, and the small boy will look after these things to your sorrow, perhaps if you do not. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 1st, 1886. Saturday evening was duly observed as Halloween by the boys around the city in a large quantity of cabbages distributed about the city. Battle Creek Daily Journal, October 28, 1887, one year later. Next Monday evening will be Halloween. Pluck your cabbages this week. Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 31st, 1887. There is a Halloween party this evening, and the gentlemen are as busy as a lot of pointer dogs trying to find out where the party is to be held. The ladies have invited them and told the gentlemen that they will find them all together. 
but did not tell them where, and the joke is to have the gentleman find them. Perhaps the ladies would not relish the joke if the gentleman failed entirely to find them. Also in the same paper, you had better chain up your cabbages tonight. Halloween, you know. And in the same paper, this is Halloween. Look out for your cabbages tonight. So they had several notices in the same paper about this. And finally, this notice, the bad boys will be abroad in the land tonight, and there will be howling and swearing and gnashing of teeth among more than one quiet, peaceable citizen the next morning when he gets up only to find that his front fence is gateless, the cabbage patch is patchless, and many other misfortunes of the like nature have visited him while he slept the sleep of the just. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 1st, 1887. The Halloween party last evening was a grand success. The ladies invited the gentlemen to find them, and they congregated in the empty house on Railroad Street, just east of the new depot, known as Champion House. Here they were discovered about half past nine o'clock and escorted to the Centennial Hall where the dancing party occurred. It was a very enjoyable affair and aside from the interest that was attracted to the hunt for the ladies. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 2nd, 1887. Among the numerous pranks of Halloween, some very large boys took a wagon and set it up again on top of a pile of lumber 20 feet high. Another crowd made a raid on the streetcar barn and would have run out a streetcar, but were prevented by the police, who had been telephoned for. Also in the same newspaper, the celebration of Halloween by the small boys on Monday night was a trifle more emphatic in some cases than can be decently passed over as pure, innocent fun. And some of the people who suffered the destruction of their signs gates, fences, window lights, chicken coops, and other outside conveniences are looking around today to see if the law will afford them any redress. It begins to look as though some of the most mischievous youngsters will cost their fathers some money and trouble before the matter is over, if the injured one persists in their present intentions of pushing them. Boys are entitled to fun, but they should not be maliciously mean and destructive. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 5th, 1887. The country is slowly recovering from the Halloween demoralization into which the boys plunged it on Monday evening last, and missing gates are gradually finding their way back to the proper places. It cannot escape the notice of the Honorable John Sherman, however, that his fences are still very much out of repair. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 16, 1887. Detroit News. Five young men of Mason have just paid $22 for their Halloween fun. They are in a position to have a fellow feeling with the old farmer who sat through one of Joseph Cook's lectures under the impression that he was listening to Mark Twain. Yes, he said afterwards, it were funny, and yet it weren't so darn funny either. Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 31st, 1888. Young ladies of Battle Creek give Halloween party at the residence of Honorable J.S. Hupton this evening and issue invitations. The ladies of St. Thomas Church merely furnish the table. Battle Creek Daily Journal, November 1st, 1888. The annual Halloween party given last evening by the ladies at the handsome residence of Honorable Jason S. Hupton on Upton Avenue, was an exceedingly pleasant and enjoyable affair. The residence has been most uniquely decorated with cabbages and other vegetables and showed much painstaking labor. The Opera House furnished music for the occasion, and the time was passed with dancing, card playing, and social chat into the wee hours of the morning. Supper was served by the ladies of St. Thomas Church 
and was very excellent in the extreme. The Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 30th, 1889. Tomorrow night is Halloween. Look out for your gates and expect a cabbage head at your front door. One that's thrown, understand. Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 31st, 1889. This is Halloween. The boys who celebrate should not forget to be gentlemen, and those who make nuisances of themselves should expect to abide by the consequences, and the officers should be on the alert. Also posted in the same paper, just post your boy tonight to celebrate his Halloween in a rational manner, so that he may stand no chance of being injured by some outrage householder. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 1st, 1889. The boys in celebrating Halloween pulled down an old abandoned house on Merritt Street. The house has been an eyesore to the neighborhood for some time. So Halloween serves a purpose in some cases, as will be seen. I found another article on this incident which gives more details about what actually happened with this old house, and it was published in the Battle Creek Daily Journal on the same date, and it reads, It will be remembered that a petition was sent to the city council a few months ago requesting the city authorities to have a house on Merritt Street owned by a non-resident pulled down as it was considered a public nuisance owing to its rickety condition. The authorities considered that they had no right to interfere with it whatsoever, and it continued to stand there until last evening when a larger crowd of urchins celebrated Halloween by pulling the old shell to the ground. The neighbors say not a sound was heard until the house fell with a crash, when a chorus of yells was sent up that could have done credit to a Comanche warrior. The neighbors look upon the destruction of the house as a public benefit to that quarter of the city. Also in the Battle Creek Daily Moon of November 1st, 1889, to say the boys and girls celebrated Halloween last evening is stating it mild. Certain portions of the city became perfect bedlams, and such carrying on was never witnessed anywhere outside of an insane asylum. Girls dressed in boys' clothes took part in the proceedings, and a couple of women who would scorn to be called ladies were among the most boisterous in a mob that visited the West End, while a couple of equally careless of their good name took part in the East part of the city. Signs were removed, gates stolen, fences torn down, horse blocks upset, and the dickens to pay generally. This morning, certain streets in the city look as though they had stood a siege of cabbage heads that must have been terrific. The officers did all they could to control the young people, but could not cover the entire city. The annoyance which the youngsters created was the principal damage done, however. Battle Creek Daily Journal, November 1st, 1889. Another interesting story was mentioned here. About a dozen young men from the city, full of Halloween enthusiasm, visited Galesburg about 1 o'clock this morning and gave the citizens of that burg a delightful serenade with tin horns. They returned about 5 o'clock this morning. Also in the same newspaper edition, it read, The small boy was out in force last evening, celebrating Halloween. Gates were removed from hinges, suspended to lampposts, and cabbages and other vegetables were strewed over nearly every street in the city. The police were kept very busy looking after the youthful do-predators to see that no serious mischief was done. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 2nd, 1889. Among some good things the good boys did on Halloween was to capture an outhouse on Marshall Street 
and throw it down on the MC Road. The lady wishes to thank the boys for leaving the vault. The vault refers to a vaulted toilet. So it appears that they took the outhouse building and left her toilet still standing, which she appeared to be very appreciative of. Her outhouse was gone, and she had no privacy for doing her business, but at least she had a place to conduct her business. Also in the same newspaper, A.J. Little ascertained the names of the young miscreants who broke the plate glass in his new house on Halloween, and their parents will be expected to fix the matter up, as they certainly should. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 5th, 1889. A long ladder can be found at number 109 Van Buren Street, where it was left by the mischievous boys who were celebrating Halloween. Battle Creek Daily Moon, October 31st, 1890. Everybody take notice. Chain up your gates. Put extra locks on your shed. See that your horse blocks are put away in a safe place. Put up all your cabbage and garden truck and lay them in the cellar. Let your dog loose, go to sleep with one hand on the door and the other holding a good, long club. Otherwise, you may get up humming sweet swear words of consolation to yourself tomorrow morning. This is Halloween. Another notice in the same paper read, A large delegation of young people will go to Marshall this evening to celebrate Halloween. It is to be hoped that they will not so far forget themselves as to cause a reflection to be thrown upon the good name of the city from which they hail. Well, this story unfolds a little bit more in the next newspaper on November 1st, 1890, in the Battle Creek Daily Moon. The young people who were in Marshall last night to celebrate Halloween were heard from. The righteous indignation of the police in that city are aroused by the noise made by the young people, and they telephoned here to have the police meet them as they drove into the city. Marshall is an unusually quiet city, and an unusual noise would not be tolerated there. Now, the same day in the Marshall Daily Chronicle, they had a different take on the story, and that was published, obviously, on November 1st, 1890. What they had to say was, a party of young fellows from Battle Creek took in the town last night and started in to give the place a crimson hue. Policeman Comstock saw them tipping over a horse block near George Coleman's and advised them to replace the same and save the trouble. But they thought they knew what they were about and paid no attention to his request. They kept up their work and when they started for home, saluted the officer with numerous vile names. He telephoned the Deputy Sheriff Powell, who ascertained the names of the party as they drove into Battle Creek. And this morning, Mr. Comstock notified the leader of the gang to get his party together and come down and settle, or he would have to send for them. They tried to have him drop the matter on the ground that they were all from nice, respectable families. And they were only out for a little fun. But he insisted that they would have to walk up to the captain's office and take their medicine. It is quite probable that the party is responsible for some of the numerous depredations committed last night. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 3rd, 1890. Marshall is very excited over the boisterous behavior of the young folks and kids in that city on Halloween night. Several of the youngsters have been arrested and fined while the officers are still in pursuit of others against whom they claim to have cases. Now, I thought this next one, which was published on the same day, November 3rd, but it was in the Battle Creek Daily Journal, 
and they had a little bit of a different take and viewpoint on Marshall. And if you've listened to some of my other podcasts about some of the newspaper wars around that time, there was a bit of animosity between the Battle Creek Daily Journal and the Marshall Chronicle and uh, between the editors of the paper. And they would try to outdo each other or they would challenge each other and all sorts of things. And they would uh, point, counterpoint each other quite a bit. So here is the Battle Creek Daily Journal, November 3rd, 1890. The Marshall Chronicle accounts for all the pranks played there, Halloween, by charging them against the Battle Creekites who drove over from this city. The fact is the county seat has been asleep so long that it can't appreciate the fact that there may be a new generation springing up there who has life enough to get out at least once a year and enjoy themselves as young America is bound to do if he possesses the stamina and grit necessary to make a mark in the world. We do hope for the sake of our shire town that the life and activity shown there Halloween was not wholly imported from Battle Creek. So that was kind of a different take on it. You can see there's a bit of a slight dig against the uh, Marshall Chronicle. Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 17th, 1890. The Athens case in which L.H. Love accuses two practical jokers, Dwight Waterman and Douglas Pratt, of stealing a horse on Halloween was called in the justice court this afternoon. F.M. Wadley is defending the men, and the case will occupy all the time until evening. The following day, in the same Battle Creek Daily Moon, November 18, 1890, tells a little bit more about the story, and it says 12 Athenians were registered at the Commercial House yesterday, which was uh, one of the hotels in town, and they were here as witnesses in the case brought by Deputy Sheriff Love growing out of the Halloween escapade some of the Athens lads committed. So that would be stealing a horse. Don't know what the outcome was. I couldn't find any newspaper account that described what they decided in that case, but just a little interesting uh, mischief down in Athens. So after doing my research on Halloween during this time period, I wondered if it was just a local tradition in the Battle Creek Marshall area or maybe Athens, or was it something that was occurring in other parts of the state or across southwest Michigan? Now, I did find a story, obviously, earlier coming from Detroit, so the same activity was going on over there, so I assumed that there must be other stories. So I began to do some research, and I found several other ones. Let's start with Benton Harbor. This ran in the Benton Harbor Weekly Palladium, November 8th, 1889. Halloween hilarity. The horse fiddle, tin horn, and cowbell got into their ghoulish work in good shape on the citizens of Benton Harbor Thursday night as the hands of about a hundred boys who had been laying about awake at night to conjure up mischief for all Halloween. The young Arabs were out as soon as it got dark, and by 8 o'clock the noise was at its height, and one might have supposed that all pandemonium had broken loose without any very good stretch of his imagination. A number of girls joined in the sport, if such, if such it might be called, and masqueraded around in grotesque costumes. The pranks of the boys were principally continued to remove front gates, overturning loose sections of sidewalk, taking street lamps from the post, and such other performances. Some of the mischief done by one gang of boys was inexcusably wrong and wasteful. Some of them took Mr. J.W. Leslie's iron rabbits used for dooryard ornaments and pounded them into a worthless condition, thus destroying unique 
and valuable property. There could have been no fun in that. An inquiry... It is learned that the boys on Halloween did considerable mischief around town that was entirely uncalled for and in some cases bordered on vandalism. The newly painted gate was taken from Mr. Munro Morrow's front fence and covered with mud in the street. A fine doormat was stolen from Mr. Houston's front porch and placed somewhere where he could not find it. And the walk in his yard was torn up and carried away. A bottle of bluing was thrown down Mrs. Hurd's well but fortunately landed in the bucket. A sign and a gate up in the high school were removed. Several fences were torn to pieces and other acts of meanness were indulged in. In some cases, the boys carried their fun too far and deserved to be punished. So that was interesting. And then the Benton Harbor Weekly Palladium, November 7th, 1890, had a story that read, Halloween was celebrated by the boys and young people in a diversity of ways, but there was a noticeable lack of disturbing noises and malicious mischief. The boys disarranged things somewhat in some places about town, but there appears to be no serious damage done. Several parties paraded the streets with horns, drums, and instruments of torture and had a hilarious time in general. Many of the young people observed the occasion in quiet social ways, several happy gatherings at hospitable homes being reported. One of Air Brothers' signs was found on Mr. Sam Bailey's front steps this morning, and a wagon was placed on top of one of the outhouses at the Institute by some ingenious boys. I then came across a story in St. Joseph, Michigan that was published in the St. Joseph Herald on December 12, 1885. And it was obviously published about a month or more after Halloween, but it was entitled The Busy Little Boys, A Pretty Halloween Story with a Moral Attached. And I found it really fascinating, so I thought I'd include it here. It reads, The boys had a lot of fun at my house on Halloween. You see, the iron gate through which Mr. William Vanderbilt and Canon Ferrer and Bill Nye and Joseph Cook and Eugene Field and Mr. Newman and others of my friends drive when they come to see me has been shut for about three months so that the boys had to leave their carriages outside and climb over. The gate had sagged somehow and got jammed and rusted fast one way or the other until we couldn't get it open at all. I sent for my neighbor, the blacksmith, and he sent a man over, and the man worked and filed and hammered and twisted for an hour and couldn't move it. He gave it up and went away, and the master smith, a man who could shoe an earthquake, came over, and he couldn't shake it. Then I tried a dynamite cartridge and paid for $8 worth of glass in the neighborhood, and that even sent the gate even more tighter. So this guy broke a bunch of windows trying to blow up his gate to get the gate off with a little dynamite charge. So I just put a placard paint on the gate, and when Russell Sage and Dick Munkittrick and George Curtis and the rest of the boys came around, they had to come around through the woodshed. Well, last Halloween, the village boys were out in force. Now remember, he'd hung a sign on the gate that said paint, like it was wet paint. And uh, he reads, They were having good times all over the neighborhood, but I didn't dream of them disturbing me. But about 11 p.m., I heard them at the gate. They went at it first in an offhand, boyish, lifter right off the hinges sort of way. Then two or three more of them took hold, and they grunted and lifted. Then the whole crowd gathered hold of her. I never saw so many boys work so hard in my life. Some of them cried, so unusual was their exertion. 
They panted and tugged and strained and shouted in hushed whispers and fussed with the catch and pulled at the hinges and twisted and grunted and paused for breath and consultation. Once or twice they displayed signs of weariness, but by showing a light at the window, I lent a zest of a little danger into the affair, and as soon as the light disappeared, they went at it again. About three o'clock in the morning, however, they lifted her. Sure as fate, they got the old gate clear off its hinges. They were too tired to carry it away, however, so they laid it down in the street and laughed and rejoiced in boyish style of what little breath they had. They were too utterly worn out to have any more fun that night, so they went wearily and triumphantly home, saying they'd like to see any man in America fix a gate so as they couldn't lift it off. Next day, I told my astonished neighbor, the master of the forge, to straighten up the gate and hang it again. Then I told my landlord that it took 14 boys four hours to get that miserable gate off, 56 hours total, at 15 cents an hour, $8.40 which I had allowed on my rent. This paid me for the glass also that I had broken with the dynamite and left me about 40 cents extra. I was going to give it to the boys, but I reflected that they had all the fun they wanted to getting the gate off, so I spent the 40 cents myself. Moral, if you have a piece of work you can't get done, just give a party of boys an idea that you don't want them to do it. So that was kind of a fun story and also very insightful of the times. I also came across a few stories in Grand Rapids. Here's one from the Grand Rapids Herald of November 1st, 1887. Now, Grand Rapids appeared to have a much harsher reaction to the adventures of Halloween. This article reads, Last night was Halloween, and the boys had laid plans to have any amount of sport. As early as about 6 o'clock, citizens began to complain of misplaced gates, overturned hitching blocks, disorderly doorbells, and so on. Superintendent Smith detailed a number of patrolmen in citizens' clothes to scatter themselves in the resident portions of the city, and the result was that a number of prominent young men were registered in headquarters. Many of them pleaded and moaned at the prospect of remaining behind bars all night, a style of bar they had never seen before. After properly registered, however, they were allowed to go home on their own recognizance. So apparently they just arrested the boys and took them downtown to the station and threw them in jail until they signed up and confessed to who they were and got their name on a list or something. Uh, the Grand Rapids Telegram Herald of November 2nd, 1889 has another story and it included the title Halloween Joke. And it reads, A liberal sprinkling of policemen throughout the residence sections on Halloween put an end to the lawless pranks with which the boys had been accustomed to celebrate the day, or rather the night. In one place, however, the boys were too much for the guardians of the law. In the eastern portion of the city is a house occupied by a couple of maiden ladies. Yesterday morning, passers-by were amused to see, chalked up on the gable in huge letters, Man Wanted Here. So I thought that was kind of funny. And then we'll uh, take a look at the Marshall area. This is the Marshall Daily Chronicle, November 1st, 1883. The boys celebrated last evening in grand style. George Graff worked all summer raising a fine lot of cabbages, which was reported by seeing 60 heads of his fine cabbages in his garden as grew out of doors. The boys last night cooned every one of them, and Mr. Graff today is as wrathy a man as ever to be found. Also, in the Marshall Daily Chronicle two years later, November 5th, 1885, a small story about the city of Albion. 
Somebody celebrated Halloween by nailing the doors of the Catholic Church fast at Albion. The members have elevated the Irish and threatened to make it interesting for somebody. And finally, this story was published in the South Haven Messenger on November 2nd, 1883. And it perhaps sums up the entire evolution of Halloween in the best way. It reads, Halloween, Wednesday, October 31st, was Halloween. This was originally a religious festival and was instituted as early as the 7th century in celebration of the conversion of the Pantheon at Rome into a Christian place of worship which was dedicated to the Virgin and the Martyrs. The first day of November was called All Hallows, Holy or Saints Day. Much superstition came to be associated with it. It was believed to be a time of supernatural influences when disembodied spirits stalked abroad and with invisible form committed antics at will. That idea has been very generally exploded, however, by the frequent materialization of the spirits that commit the depredations on Halloween. It is also denominated as Nutcrack Day in some quarters, where nuts are not only cracked and eaten, but are made the medium of divination in love affairs. In some parts of the United States, great sport is enjoyed by ducking or bobbing for apples set afloat in a tub of water. In this state, the youth and fun-loving promenade the streets with pockets full of corn and shower it against the neighbor's windows, steal all ungarnered cabbage, and throw it into the halls against the doors, and the more venturesome and reckless overturn outhouses, blockade the streets, build fences across the country roads, carry off gates, change the wheels on wagons, and put cows in the haymows, and collage chapels and all other such manner of deviltry. And that's going to conclude the reading of those articles. And in later years, I think as we get past the 1900s to maybe the 1930s and 40s, the Halloween night became known as Devil's Night in Michigan. And there was a lot more of that rowdiness apparently occurred and became a lot more college fraternities getting involved in things. So it has certainly evolved over the years. Today, it seems a lot more mild with kids coming to the door with trick-or-treating and costumes. But reading some of those stories, it occurred to me that in the Victorian era, which is where this time was in the 1880s, the girls were not allowed to participate in this sort of thing. It was kind of a boy's night. And so the girls, in order to participate, would wear costumes. Now, I don't probably to hide themselves, but I wonder how much of that behavior added to the creation of costumes being worn on Halloween. And it would be interesting to do more research to find that out. They certainly would add a disguise to the girls. And there's even one story that I read here that showed that the girls were dressing up as boys so they could hide among the throngs of boys running around the street and not be caught by the police or whatnot. So it's just an interesting side note that occurred to me when I was doing all this research. And it would be... Uh, Interesting to find out the origins of the costume. Now, I know costume making went back much earlier with all sorts of festivals and things like that. So it probably was much earlier than that. But it may have been a vehicle that the girls used in order to participate in these activities. And it certainly seems to have been the case, at least in the articles around Battle Creek and St. Joseph area. And that's going to conclude today's story on Halloween stories. It is Halloween this coming weekend, so I had wanted to get this story together. I also released a video on this on YouTube, and I'll put the link to that in the description. Um, I included a few additional stories in the YouTube video, 
some from New York and a few others from Hillsdale, Michigan, and a, and a few other places. So if you want to see a lot more stories and, and hear a lot more stories and see the actual newsprints that I read these from, please watch it. I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com, and I'm always happy to hear from you. I have a couple of great guests coming up here at the early part of November already lined up. Should be some fascinating stories there. And I hope you'll keep listening. Those guest interviews air on Sundays on this podcast. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet some more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.